Did you know that I failed the PMP exam multiple times because of this? Hey, if you're new to the channel, I go by the name of ED. For all you smarter than intelligent folks out there, that just simply means Ed. Do you mind if I share a story with you? Today's episode is a little close and tight to the bosom, as they would say, or the heart, uh, due to the fact that this is a true story. You know, a lot of you may see videos out there just like, hey, if, you know, these are the 10 or five or two things that I wish I would have known before I took the exam, but I'm a living, walking, true proof of if I wish I would have listened, if anything, to these things, let alone understood them a little bit better. So what makes me qualified to be able to talk about this particular topic here is because I didn't fail the exam once. I didn't even fail it twice. Yeah, you can see where I'm going with this family. And it wasn't because I didn't have the experience. It was because I didn't have the experience understanding the PAP exam. So I thought to myself, how could I switch it up and do something for the family to give back? Because I still owe you that PMP exam. Uh, just really a, a long, it's going to be a long video. And that's why I've been hesitating on making it because I was like, I don't know if the family is really going to listen to that. So this would be my introduction. We'll see how, if you, if you guys is feeling this one, if you're feeling this one, then I'll know that, hey, I need to go ahead and put the PMP exam of beginning to end and tell my story of what happened. But Honestly, though, family, the reason, again, like I said, I'm, I can speak to this, I'm qualified to speak to this is because this is not something I heard. Okay, matter of fact, this is not even something I read in a book or someone told me about. This is something I actually experienced. And looking back over my experience of how I failed the, the PMP exam multiple times, there was, there, was, there was probably about eight to 20 things that I, I felt that I could have done better and prepared better. So I wanna start off at, at in this first phase is sharing these eight. And you let me know if any of these eight resonates with you before you take the PMP exam. And I hope at least one of these things, if you stay tuned, there's one or two that, I don't care if you, don't, if you skip past all the other points, there are one or two that, that really is going to, to speak to you. And then you know how I'm gonna let you know, I'm gonna say, message. All right, let's go. First one. Oh, by the way, today's episode is entitled PMP exam disaster. Again, PMP exam disaster. Top eight mistakes you can't afford to ignore. Oh, this is going to be heavy. I hope I, I hope I can get to this in less than 10 minutes because I kind of get a little excited about it. Point number one, underestimating the exam format. No, 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 no I don't like that. Let's remix that. Underestimating the PMP process. See, everyone talks about the exam format, you know, uh, 180 questions, you know, the time allowed it for that, but they don't talk about the process. What is the process, ED? See, a lot of times we can, can forget about the audit uh, format. What happens if you get audited? Like, do you have a plan in place to address if you get audited? You know, because I've seen it where people don't have a, play, uh, a plan in place or matter of fact, you are not emotionally prepared if PMP, uh, PMI comes back and says you, you, your application has been selected for auditing. How do I know? Well, I was one of the people that got audited and I was like, oh my God, what do I do? You know, I'm scared. I didn't, I, you know, and, and you know, you're thinking to yourself, I haven't lied on this application. Why are they choosing me? Why me? I love what Les Brown talks about when he, he said, well, who else would you rather them choose? So, you know, you go around telling everybody, they, I got audited for the PMP exam and everybody was like, 
who Jesus, I'm glad that wasn't me. And that's, you know, it's funny because I was thinking to myself, I said, I bet you that's what they was thinking when I told them I got audited. But yes, family, you need to have a audit plan in place. Uh, I don't care if you, if, if you don't get audited, that's awesome, that's great. But if you do, you won't lose the the emotional momentum because that's what happened to me. I had I lost the emotional momentum where I was just like, well, man, it, I, you know, I got to wait for them to prove if I'm going to be able to move forward. And I've already started to study. I was way along in my study and journey. So this is huge. You want to make sure that you focus on being able to have a particular audit process in place because if you don't have the audit process in place then it's really going to hurt you long term uh, by not having that particular item in place all right let's move on to uh, the exam format again the exam format is basically 180 uh, questions it, it includes is a it's a situational scenario based question so make sure you have that understood and then the last piece of it is and I don't know why people sometimes forget about this and it, it would seem I love I just did some homework and, and my homework told me recently that I love what PMIs did they must have been paying attention uh, hopefully they paying attention to uh, Edward Coke Jr's uh, videos but if not hey I mean I just I'm just one person out of everyone that loves this thing that they call project management but they do have a checklist in place to help you on this journey to make sure that you have certain things lined up. But you must have 35 training hours. And again, I've seen people that got ready to take the test and then for, and then forgot, oh, I was supposed to have my 35 actual uh, training uh, training hours. Let's move on to point number two. Point number two, neglecting practice exams. <laughs> you know what? Listen. I, I'm, I'm laughing because, family, I experienced a lot of these points that I'm sharing with you, and I just hope, I really do, if, if it's just 10 of you that listen to this, or is it, I wish it was like a, a million, to be honest with you, because these things here that I'm talking about will save you a lot of heartache, a lot of heartburn, and a lot of frustration, but what I've noticed, too, what I was doing is I was taking the practice exams but I wasn't understanding the meaning behind the question. What do you mean? Well, what I mean is, is that when the, I was looking, let's say I got the question wrong, I didn't go back to the PMBOK to actually look at how, how did I miss it and how does this question correlate to the actual PMBOK? Because a lot of times you could be start doing what I was doing because of my memory. I just start memorizing the questions and, and memorizing the answer. But that wasn't the purpose of it. The purpose was to be able to look at the question and when you got it wrong to unpack why you got it wrong. So I wasn't so concerned about the why. I was concerned about the question, well, the answer to the question, and that I shouldn't have done that. So when I switched that up and I started understanding the why, looking at that thing called the PMBOK, basically what is a reference guide, and 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 looking at where where was I falling at within those processes or that that particular um, framework of things. So again, make sure what I don't care what uh, what type of PMP certification training you know you need how many thirty five training hours. I don't care whose course you're taking. Um, but make sure don't you don't get into a memorizing the actual answer. You memorize why that answer was what it was by referencing the PMBOK. Uh, PMBOK, excuse me. Um, point number three, skipping the PMBOK. Yep, that was me. I skipped it. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. I know a lot of a lot, a lot of people won't share that with you. They'll just say, no, I, I read it from cover to, to end. I didn't do that. And I paid for it. Because going back from to point number two, I didn't have a reference point of saying I was memorizing the answers. And it showed up in my test results because I failed. And so when I started putting all these pieces together that I'm sharing with you, uh, okay, the, when I missed the question, I looked at the page number or tried to identify what the particular item was that I missed. It helped accelerate my learning process. And then it wasn't just a memorizing type thing. It was really truly what the PMP exam is, which is a situational test and it allowed me to understand it better. Point number four, overconfidence and professional experience. Boy, message. You know what that means. It's showtime. So we're going to unpack this for real, for real. The reason why we're going to unpack this is because so many people rely on their work experience and they're not, I'm going to say, infusing your work experience along with the PMBOK framework, framework, which can differ from the real world practice because, you know, normally I'll give you a, a perfect example. Normally on a particular project, when a charter is, uh, when a charter is in place, it initiates or authorizes the, the project manager. But I've been in organizations, again, it's, like I said, it's different everywhere, in organizations where the business case is something that authorized the project manager, which was confusing to me at the time, but that's how they did, that's how they did it. Or they didn't have the five process groups, they had like seven or, or um, you know, it was just, so different organizations did it different ways. Now, there were some organizations that I worked with that, really aligned with the PMBOK, which I appreciate because it was easier to navigate. But there are other organizations that I've been in that you were just like, okay, what is this phase that we're in? And you're like, this doesn't make sense to me. So you have to be able to take some of your real world experience, but not be so cocky or overconfidence like, oh, my professional you know, experience, I could just walk in and take the test. And that's how a lot of people get set up for you know, doing the, the, the 24 hour boot camp or the 72 hour boot camp and thinking they can walk into an exam and pass it. Now, some do, you know, no disrespect, but respectfully for those of us like us that are on the career path, for those of us that's like this, that really want to develop their, uh, their, their project management, uh, acumen, then, uh, those don't really work well for us. I've, I personally tried it. And again, I, I'm not speaking from what I read. I'm not speaking from what I heard. I am speaking from true experiences, family. So yes, there are some boot camps out there that may be effective for you. They just weren't for me. They didn't work for me. Every time I've tried one of those things, it just didn't, it just wasn't in my favor. Let's say that. Okay. So don't be so overconfident. Like, yeah, I just know project management from beginning to end. Anyway, as a project manager, if you have a project manager like that, um, you're going to have some challenges and, and, and tr some trials and tribulations as it is because a project manager or if someone that is studying project management, they should always be having a beginner's mindset. A beginner mindset is saying they are welcoming to learn and they're willing to grow or have a growth mindset. So let me move on. Point number five, decision-making versus choice-making. Message. 
So let me tell you why this is really a truly message and you really want to stay tuned. Like again, I told you at the beginning of the, of the video, there's going to be some where I say message that basically means uh, you want to pay attention to this. So this is one of those slides and I'm not doing it just for clicks and views. I'm truly doing it to help you and you and you. Oh, I'm sorry. I got into it. But no, seriously, decision making versus choice making. See what I was doing too um, in the beginning where I would. Uh, doing my test and I'd be like, yeah, and I'm going through it and I'm answering the questions and I'm choosing the right answers. I, well, I believe in I'm choosing the right answers, but I wasn't making decisions. I was making choices. And we understood what I shared with you, what I learned from Myron Golden. Golden, there's a difference between a decision and a choice. A decision means you have decided, you've cut off all other options. A choice is so kind of it's like, ah, oh, well, you know, it's like, oh, maybe I'll do it or maybe I'll not. And so when you are taking the test, you have to be confident in your studying that you've already completed, going through your 35 training hours additional on top of everything else that you've done that, hey, this is the, this is the, uh, the, the answer I'm going with, I'm not going to go back and change it because that I did that a lot because I was like, I'm going to fail or I, you know, I, maybe I was just moving too fast. No. When I read the question, I selected the answer, we move on. And I'm again, I may do something on that if I get some comments in the, uh, you guys leave some comments. Uh, point number six, ignoring the five process groups. What are the five process groups, ED? Let's see if I remember them. I'm always going to remember them, but Humbly, initiating, planning, executing, monitoring, controlling, and closing in that particular order. These are crucial. Why are they crucial? See, I didn't really realize how crucial they were until I started having the ability un to unpack this, meaning like, okay, if they talk about a project charter, you know that they're in the initiating phase of things. So if you're in initiating, if there's other answers uh, that are not in the initiating um, in the initiating process group, then you already know that, hey, okay, I can start narrow dialing, narrowing down my answer based on the other uh, answers that are in there. And what I love what PMP has done, or excuse me, PMI has done for for the test taking aspect of things, they have made it where you can cross out which one of the answers you don't think. So now I, what I would do is I would do that and then it would limit me down to a, a couple of a couple of answers and then I would choose the best one based on what I believe. And well, excuse me, I would make a decision on the best one based on what the question was asking. All right, let's move on to point number seven. Inadequate uh, situational questioning. Um, sometimes now I know I talked about it earlier about, you know, you coming in very, uh, like you have the experience because your work experience. So, you know, you over, you, you overcompensate in a, in a sense by using your work experience versus getting a combination of both. Now, this is really flipping to the other way around where basically you are, uh, when I talk about the inadequate, uh, situational question, uh, practice, uh, aspect of things. It's more or less you flipping it around. Now you're doing so much theory that you don't have that mixture of adding some of your work experience in there. So you're really, you're more or less really relying solely on the theory without actually solving the practice question. And that's, that's what really, and when you don't get that hands-on experience of understanding how these, these situational questions are really asked to you, 
you don't get a chance to train your mind how to answer these questions. And again, what I recommend it, because I always want to leave you with value, is being able to take when you get a question wrong or you weren't sure, we wasn't sure on the decision you made on a question, being able to reflect back to that to the PMBOK uh, guide to understand why that answer was the way it was or it wasn't. Okay. Last and final point, family, and I promise this is a layup right here. And the reason why I call it, I call it the layup because it's, it's one of those things that you take for granted, but you like, oh man, how did I miss that? I should have known that. And that's overlooking the code of ethics. It's not a long, you know, uh, 10,000 page uh, document, but it's one of those things that we sometimes we're so focused on all the process groups and all of the, you know, the 49 processes and the 10 knowledge areas and understanding the ITTOs and understanding the situational that we miss this in agile. Now that's added. Then we forget this just easy understanding the strict code of ethics and professional conduct. This right here, I'm going to be the first to let you know, trip me up. Cause I was like, why didn't I study that? Like it was so easy. All I had to do was study it. So family, I'll leave you with those. I hope that um, if, if, there's if this was a good video for you guys where I gave you eight, you know, eight items of wish, uh, more or less of, I, I, I wish somebody would have told me before I experienced it. And maybe they did. I just wasn't listening. But these are truly top eight mistakes that you can't afford to ignore. If you really like this video, like I said, I'll do, you know, I'll actually do a longer version of this and actually give you some more points of the things. Because, again, this is not something I read. This is not something I heard. This is actually something I experienced. And I wish I had this information to help me along in my journey. So until next time, you know my slogan. I'm out.